Good morning. Joining me from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things looking over there in Heartland? Boy, they um, they look uh, look really nice, and I've been uh, doing a, a lot of walks. Um, my wife was kind enough to give me one of these little Fitbit things that reminds me when I'm not walking enough. So, uh, you know, we all need a prodding once in a while. I didn't think I'd really... I'd care for it or need it, but it's a good thing. It just reminds me, you know, that you should get up and do 250 steps here and there. While I you're think you're supposed to do 10,000 10, a day. How how have you done? I mean, you go out and watch birds and you walk around and look at stuff, so I'd imagine it'd be not an issue for you. It, uh, the 10 hasn't been a problem. Oh, so good. I, but my problem is you sit down, you're doing something, uh, whether it work, in my case, usually, or, or reading a book, mm-hmm. and you're there for an hour or so, and it's good enough to remind me that you sh- you need to do 250 steps. So you get up and just walk around, and you can put that on pretty quickly. But I think that's very important, that you get up and stand and just do something. And I find that I'm sitting down and I'm I'm working or reading a book and I'm engrossed in something. The time just flies by, and uh, an hour goes by so quickly. So it's nice to get that, I, even though maybe it interrupts attention a little bit. I, I think it helps overall just to get up and walk around and get a little refresh your mind, maybe get a drink of water or something. So I like it. I like the Fitbit. Don't you find, though, that if you fidget enough, you can get a lot of steps, too? Because I know I've had one of those, not the Fitbit per se, but the old pedometers, and I'd fidget enough that I could get a lot of steps just sitting. (laughs) You know, I've tried that sitting down. You know, I had to test it, and I moved my arm a little bit, and it doesn't. I'd have to, I think, have to really shake it up and down maybe and maybe then it would add. So I'd have to uh, imitate my walking or the arm motion, and then I think it would. Maybe it's more accurate than those old pedometers were, I'm probably guessing. Yeah. Boy, I had one of those years ago, and I'd walk about five miles, and it'd say I'd walked about seven feet. I don't know what it was (laughs) with that thing. It was bad. I want to thank everybody at Water's Edge in beautiful Albert Lee, uh, the Medelia Community Hospital Foundation Centennial Gala, all the fine folks that gathered there, and all the the young people and uh, adults at the Science and Nature Conference that was held at Gustavus Adolphus. So uh, thanks to all those uh, wonderful people for allowing me to uh, blather and bloviate at their fine gatherings. I just a cardinal, a beautiful male cardinal just came in. If you see a cardinal, you'll note now that they are they have brown tips. When their new feathers come in, they have brown tips on them that wear away over the winter, and that'll leave them bright red in the spring. But when we see them now and into winter, they will not look that bright red color. A cardinal gets its red plumage from pigments called carotenoids. And they can get that from sunflower and safflower seeds, apples, dogwood berries are a very important one for them around here, Uh, grapes, wild grapes, raspberries, rose hips, and others. And the carotenoids are something that produce red, orange, or yellow feathers. Is that kind of like carotenoid? Maybe that's how I say it. So it's like in carrots? Yeah, I suppose it would be. Sure. Yeah, and uh, there's 
various. I, there's a lot of other uh, forms that are, that carry this, other than ones I mentioned. The ones I mentioned are the ones that cardinals most likely are going to interact and eat. Uh, Steve Hudek, he was at the Brownsville Overlook in Houston County. I know Brownsville in Houston sounds like he's in Texas, but he's <laughs> in Minnesota. And he saw tundra swans. He said the first few flocks that I'm aware of arrived on October 16th, and he counted about 120 birds recently. He said still a few weeks away from the peak numbers. Um, the birds started arriving on October 16th, and he did a count uh, recently. Steve said there was 120 birds. Still a few weeks away from peak numbers, but the tundra swans are arriving uh, Steve said that the high water has made access to the Reno spillway difficult, but the levels are quickly falling. There were a lot of canvas back and other divers in the open water. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said, I have been so busy refilling my feeders scattered around and about within pretty close sight. The birds, despite being of such diminutive scale, are averaging at least one pound daily in consumption of black oil sunflower seeds. It's so hard to believe that such tiny creatures with such tiny beaks can possibly crack through that many. I've been hoping I would see a fox sparrow migrating despite spring being the better season to catch them in my yard. The goldfinches, by and large, seem to be retaining their summer color still, despite the shortening days and cooler weather. We always have hordes of chickadees with hardly a perceptible break there. Yeah, um, nut hatches in about the same number, but the red-breasted nut hatches are absolutely stunning. Likewise, the white-throated sparrows gratefully remain in action. They are also quite stunning. We have blue jays and a pair of cardinals making the rounds at times. Uh, Rick Mammel said he has a window-peaking pair of chipmunks that are hilarious. He said if you would share some of the birds you country livers enjoy, things here in the metropolitan <laughs> would uh, pale in comparison. No, no it wouldn't. He said uh, Petticoat Junction would be even more entertaining. <laughs> uh, the birds all tend to look like leaves of a spectrum of colors flitting up rather than down. And I just led a bird walk in uh, Missouri, and uh, the leaves were all falling, so I told uh, all those of uh, my charges to look for something that was flying up instead of flying down. Uh, Christine Weigel, also of Albert Lee, said, Al, I wonder if you have any ideas on what we should do with a bird that appears to be injured. I think it ran into one of our big windows. It appears to be sitting on the ground, and it moved itself to get under a plant. I was outside with dogs before I noticed it and got the dogs inside before they saw it. But the bird didn't fly off, so I think it's injured. Uh, Christine, the best thing to do if you're comfortable with it is to uh, pick up the bird and place it in a shoebox with maybe a bit of tissue or cloth on the bottom so it gives the the feet a little bit of purchase there. Uh, no food or water. Yep, and then just place the shoebox in a dark, quiet place for an hour or so, and then take it outside and attempt a release. And it doesn't always work, but you give the bird a chance, and it's wonderful that you care. I did hear from Christine later, and she's happily said it worked. Oh, bird, that's uh, great. Boy. This past weekend, I was clearing leaves out around the lake house, and 
um, came across in the pile of leaves a dead robin. Of course, it was right by a, a big window, and I thought that must have been what happened to it because it looked healthy otherwise. Then it was just dead, and I thought, I guess you can, can you get a concussion and just blank out, or what? What really happens to them? Yeah, they can get knocked loopy like we can. Um, sadly, sometimes they have internal hemorrhaging oh. that will do them in at a later date, but sometimes they're just uh, knocked a little goofy, concussion-like symptoms, and um, it's sad. It's interesting that you mention that, Robin, because Rodney Hatley of Owatonna got a hold of me, and he said, Al, here's a death picture. Oh. And uh, this photo seems to come in... The robin seems to have come in low for landing around the corner of a building and impaled itself on the <gasps> exposed end of a tomato brace. Oh. So he said that was, a, you just never realize anything like that could happen. He said it's tragic and it's a realization of the hazardous nature in nature. Well, I've had birds uh, get cut in, caught in mouse traps as well. I put traps out for voles or other things, and I've seen birds in, and that just breaks my heart, too. I guess Aww. they come down, and they like peanut butter, too, apparently, and I, I've realized that I need to put a pot, a big you know, flower pot or something over top so the birds aren't tempted to, to get there because that's really disheartening when you see them dead on a trap that you set out to get the, the rodents. And everything likes peanut butter, mm-hmm. so it just seems like no matter what it is. I remember my little chihuahua, he would... Uh, he loved peanut butter, so I'd hold a spoon down, and then he'd get it stuck to the roof of his mouth. <laughs> so, And he'd, he'd walk around like, oh, he just loved it. I wouldn't give him uh, enough to do him any harm, I guess, but I always had to give him a little bit. Do you know what the fear um, of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth is called? I don't. It's arachobotrophobia because my dad had that. He was literally scared to eat plain peanut butter. He wouldn't, he'd wouldn't. he love peanut butter cookies, but he wouldn't have peanut butter plain because he was afraid it would stick to the roof of his mouth, and we looked it up, arachobotrophobia, oh. and I just thought that's so funny because I love peanut butter, and I'll eat it by the spoonful, but and apparently it's a thing. <laughs> I bet he just did that as an excuse so he got more cookies. That, well, he liked the cookies. He'd eat those, but not just the yeah. plain. <laughs> uh, Roger Davis of New Ulm said, Hi, Al. I heard you and Karen talking about candy preferences by states. Uh, Both of you wondered why candy corn is popular. Yeah, you know, good question. I still do, Roger. <laughs> yeah. He said that we might like candy corn more if we did what his wife's family does with it. They mix one-half candy corn with one-half roasted peanuts. He said it's really addicting, and he uses Fisher Golden Style with sea salt that he gets at Menards. And it was interesting, when I heard from Roger, I'd just come from church where I had purchased some carrot cake uh, bars, and I love carrot cake, but each one had a little candy corn on top of it. <laughs> and uh, the one I ate, I removed the candy corn because I, I don't know. See, I have had that mixture of candy corn with peanuts, and he's right, that is very good. It is addicting, and I hadn't thought of that, but that might be where all the candy corn's going. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've had that. I, Try I'm it. I'm familiar with Yeah. Uh, Dean Meesing said, I wanted to let you know I saw a flock of bohemian wax wings feeding on a crabapple tree in my backyard at daybreak. I was lucky to see them as they didn't stay long. I see that their normal range is further to the west, so they must have been migrating. I cleaned out some birdhouses today and saw some little mice in one. Oh. Never saw that before, but not surprised. Enjoy your observations of life, wild and otherwise. Well, thank you. That's awfully nice of you, Dean. Yeah, mice get into everything. 
I, I can't imagine what they don't get into. They must be lazy uh, because if they're just taking over the bird's nest, I'm thinking, yeah, they're not very ambitious. Yeah, hey, here's a bunch of grass and stuff. Let's make a uh, house here. It's perfectly made for them, I guess. This should be a really birdy, B-I-R-D-Y, winter. The summer cone and seed crops in the far north have been less bountiful than normal. So birds that eat alder, birch, pine, spruce, fir, uh, other natural seeds produced by trees will be fo- forced southward. I, um, I'm looking at a red-breasted nuthatch on the window feeder here right now. They've already pushed south in large number, and I sometimes think they're an early indicator that other species will follow. And berry crops in the north have seen average or below average production. And wet summer across the, much of the Midwest has produced bumper crops from fruit-producing shrubs, vines, and trees. So watch for cedar and bohemian waxwing flocks to appear to take advantage of those. Early reports of pine siskins and purple finches at bird feeders and at migration monitoring stations portend a finch frenzy at the feeders. And I have a number of purple finches here in my yard. And crazy weather patterns pushing up from the south and low number of cold fronts pushing across upper Midwest will likely produce several light waves of migrant finches, grosbees, crossbills, and sparrows moving southward. So a lot of cool things. It's a weird, weird uh, weather pattern. I just Haines, Alaska, where I work uh, every year. In September, they got three one-hundredths of an inch of rain, according to NOAA and Juno. And I think their average in September is 6.35 inches of rain. that's dry. Yeah, and their average temperature in September was 2 degrees higher than Mm. normal, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it certainly can make a difference. So they are a rainforest that's in a drought, which we never never think of rainforest being in a drought, but they have drought-like conditions. Yeah, Haines is uh, yeah, oh, it's 80, 80 miles north of Juneau, and it's a, a rainforest where, that meets the tundra is Haines, Alaska. And we just never think of anything that's a rainforest of having any thought of having anything even remotely coming close to a drought, but uh, they do. Hey, I want to talk about a, some migration uh, reports of my own. Sure. I was out at the lake house working this this weekend in the yard, and all of a sudden there was this a cacophony of noise. It sounded like when you're in a, a Menards or one of those big box stores that has the metal roofs, and it just starts to pour, or like there's bullets being shot down on metal. And I was trying to figure out what in the world. I looked around. Did the wind kick up? There were thousands, literally thousands of blackbirds, and I think they were grackles, but they were landing in the trees above me and around me. And as I looked up, I closed my mouth thinking, well, you know, <laughs> there's an awful lot above my head here. And uh, then there, the neighbors had a dock, a wooden dock that they had pulled in, and it was uh, right under where the trees are. And all of a sudden, things started coming down on the wood, going splat, splat, splat. And I thought it might have been uh, bird droppings, but it, but it turned out to be just the seeds from them shaking the treetops. But it was literally alive with black 
these blackbirds and like you said they I know they weren't blackbirds they didn't have the red on them so they probably were grackles but they sounded just like rain pounding on a metal roof and they stayed there probably for oh maybe 10 minutes or so and then off they went across the fields in just swarms of of black clouds so it was just pretty amazing did they just take a rest like they went over the lake and said hey let's rest here on these trees before we head on out they would do that and they also are always on the lookout for something to eat and we'll see some of these large flocks just winding across the Mm -hmm. egg fields and across roads, and very often they can be a mixed flock. So there could be common grackles, there could be red-winged blackbirds, brown-headed cowbirds, European starlings. Uh, we will see a few uh, rusty blackbirds. I've seen a few of them this year already. And so it's always nice to see these uh, rusty blackbirds because they have been a bird It's really in declining population but they will all gather together and go in these flocks and a lot of uh, will go out into farm fields where there's corn and things for them to eat and i was doing a walk the other day in a uh, red-winged blackbird flock thousands and thousands of birds landed right along us and they had no real interest in what we were doing down there they were just busy singing and talking and it just, I told everybody, I think those birds have been having a really good day. They just seem very happy about everything. One of the people that was there I was talking to sent me a text, and they said, do birders name their children after birds? <laughs> do you and have a grackle in I, your family? I, grackle bat? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, no grackle. But I suppose they do. And uh, many humans do carry bird names, Jay, Martin, and Robin. But I don't think those were intentionally named after a bird. It was other reasons they got those names. And I played basketball against metal arc lemon ones. And, uh, <laughs> boy, that was almost fun. I named a dog Toey. But I, I look forward to meeting my first little kids named Nat Catcher or Pyroloxia or maybe Curlew. I think Curlew would be just a wonderful name. And they could, I hear I know Phoebe's. They could call him Phoebe's. Yeah, Phoebe. Yeah, that's I didn't even think about Phoebe. Yeah, that's a, a we run into that name a lot, and it's a beautiful name. Uh, and one of the most famous birders of all time was Phoebe Snetsinger. And she was one of the first that I was aware of that just pretty much traveled everywhere and looked at birds. She had some Minnesota ties, which made her even more uh, more important, I guess, while I was uh, learning about her. But Phoebe Phoebe Snetzinger, and boy, I shouldn't have I I should have had that down for the the uh, names. But I I just talked to a Jay on the phone this morning, so there's um, definitely Jays out there. Now, when you uh, I mentioned the Phoebes asked. because this this weekend also as the the cacophony of blackbirds, uh, grackles, whatever were above me down below the Phoebes went on going to the feeder because I filled it with some sunflower seeds as if nothing was going on. It just amazed me that all this was going on above them and these little Phoebes were just happily feeding below as if nothing was going on. How do they do that? Do they just know that they're not going to bother them and they just seem just to be going on their merry way just about the yard? It, you mean the little chickadees? Or chickadees, maybe? yeah. Yeah, that chickadees. Make that sound? Yeah. Yes, that's what I meant. And they do that because they get hungry. And they yeah. have other uh, obligations this time of year in that they need to cache 
thousands of seeds right around the area. They hide them everywhere. So when the weather gets bad, then they can go find that. That explains why some places throughout the yard, I'll find these these clumps of seeds growing up in odd places. And literally, they are sunflower seeds. And I thought, well, how in the world? And I, I blamed it on the squirrels, but maybe it's I have this little feeder of all sunflower seeds. I wonder if it isn't the little chickadees and other birds. Chickadees would be more likely to oh. hide theirs up high somewhere. Oh. But blue jays definitely hide theirs in the ground they're forever planting Mm. oak trees because they're putting they're burying acorns in the ground and they will actually steal it from squirrels and things squirrels will bury a lot of them in the ground and then a blue jay will watch and go over and steal that acorn (laughs) they're more than happy to take a squirrel's work from them so they plant a lot of oak trees. I've seen all different kinds of estimates, how many, and I, I don't know how you'd ever determine that, but they uh, they do plant a lot of them. Uh, somebody asked, a listener said, uh, thanks for KMSU. Well, I agree. Thanks for KMSU, too. Uh, how long does a bumblebee live? I try to pet a bumblebee in the morning when they're around. I hope it doesn't bother them too much because it just thrills me to no end. Uh, how long does a bumblebee live? The lifespan of a worker bee is two to six weeks, uh, probably 28 days on average, and they die with the first hard frost. Uh, bumblebees rely on the queen to live through the winter and renew the population in the spring. So the queen mates in the fall and then finds an underground hibernaculum to spend the winter. And on average, a bumblebee queen probably lives about a year. So if you're a worker, you burn out in about 28 days, a queen about a year. So it's I love bumblebees. They're very important pollinators. They're able to pollinate a lot of plants that uh, smaller and weaker bees are not able to do. Bumblebees can, uh, they're strong, they're they're muscular bees, and I I just, I really enjoy bumblebees. Uh, The ones I find are just docile. I don't recommend anybody goes outside and grab one with their hand or something because then you're surely going to get stung. But they're not looking for a fight. That's I, I like them. I, it is a beautiful day to be a Minnesotan, and uh, every day is a beautiful day to be a Minnesotan, but fall is one of our loveliest seasons. Look for a lot of different kinds of birds, as I talked about a little bit earlier, passing through the area. It's a great time to see things that we will not see. And I hope uh, that everybody listening will stop at the cafe, where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. My neighbor Crandall stops by. We've been neighbors most of our lives. And How are you doing, I ask? And he says, everything is nearly copacetic. I got my Ford Fiasco out of mothballs and I drove it towards town. The car surprised me by completing the trip. I met that fiasco the year my slinky lost the spring in its step. I never dreamed it'd be my car one day. I went to the theater and was nearly frightened into the next county. Scary movie, huh, I say. 
No, it was the price of candy that scared me 57% to death. Oh, I've been seeing woolly bear caterpillars. Ah, if the rusty band is wide, then it will be a mild winter. The more black there is, the more severe the winter. What kind of winter do the woolly worms foretell for us? I asked. Crandall looked at me and said, we'll definitely have one. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me and do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, I enjoyed your company. Uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, not only listening to KMSU, but for supporting KMSU. Yes. It uh, makes the world a better place. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Al. It was great chatting with you as well. Bye-bye.